to our dope village. Welcome to our first of three bonus episodes of Laughter Permitted dedicated to the 50th anniversary of Title IX. And today, in our first episode, we'll be talking with Dr. Donna Lopiano, a longtime friend of mine and force of nature in women's sports to give us the basics from a 30,000 feet level of Title IX. So she's going to give us a tutorial. And Dr. Donna Lopiano served as the CEO of the Women's Sports Foundation from 1992 to 2007. And before that, she was the Director of Women's Athletics at the University of Texas for 18 years. She is now the founder and president of Sports Management Resources, a consulting firm for athletic departments and sports organizations. And she has been recognized as one of the foremost national experts on gender equity in sport and has testified about Title IX and gender equity before three congressional committees. And in over 40 court cases, Dr. Lopiano has also been recognized nationally and internationally for her leadership advocating for gender equity in sports by the International Olympic Committee, the National Association for Girls and Women in Sports, many other organizations and beyond receiving her doctoral degree from the University of Southern California, Dr. Lopiano has been the recipient of five honorary doctoral degrees. But we cannot talk about Donna without talking about her athletic career. She participated in, oh my gosh, 26 national championships. Yes, in four different sports, was a nine-time All-American at four different positions in softball a sport in which she played on six national championship teams. She's a member of 13 people, Hall of Fames, including the National Sports Hall of Fame, National Softball Hall of Fame. <laughs> oh my God, Donna, I didn't even give half of your bio. Is this, is this about Title IX? Or no, is this, no, you know, we got to set you up. You, you, are not, that, you are not my agent. Come I on. Mean, come on, that bio. I am the only person, I am, am the only person, you know, that was alive when Title IX passed, probably. I know you, Jules. <laughs> I was almost there. I was, oh. no, I was alive. I was you alive. Were, I was 1971. I was barely, 72. I was barely alive. I remember <laughs> it well that day at one year old. Oh, Donna, thanks for joining us, my friend. So Anytime. appreciate it. So appreciate it. We are having you join us in large part. Obviously, it's the 50th anniversary of Title IX, but I'm also saddened and mystified by the fact that kids are not taught about Title IX in school and not just kids, many adults don't even know what it is. And yet it is one of the most profound civil rights laws we've had in this country. And with that in mind, Lynn asked me who I wanted to give the basic tutorial on Title IX. And without hesitation, I was like, Donna Lopiano, <laughs> because you were the first to teach it to me. So it seems only fitting that we share your wisdom with our audience. And let's start there with the 37 words that changed everything. No person in the United States shall, on the basis of sex, be excluded from participation in, be denied the benefits of, or be subjected to discrimination under any educational program or activity receiving federal financial assistance. Those are the 37 words of Title IX, a section of the educational amendments signed into law by President Richard Nixon, June 23rd, 1972. Break it down in its most simplistic form, Donna. What is Title IX? 
When Title IX passed in 1972, no one had a clue that it would ever apply to athletics. Title IX passed because my mother and your grandmother uh, were absolutely, uh, it was hopeless for them to get into graduate school to be engineers or doctors or lawyers. Uh, there were quotas on the number of women who were admitted to um, graduate programs in the highest paying fields. Uh, and Title IX was originally intended to make sure that women had the same rights as men to get an education. Right. Um, and it wasn't until 1974, two years after the law passed, that the NCAA, through their legal counsel in Washington, D.C., asked the question, uh, does Title IX apply to extracurricular activities? And when the answer was yes, all hell broke loose in the United <laughs> States. Darrell Royal, who was the most famous football coach at the time at the University of Texas, who was also the president of the American Football Coaches Association, was quoted nationwide as saying, Title IX and women's sports will be the death of big time football. Mm. And uh, it, that was really a gift uh, for women's sports because I, I think it would have passed under the radar and people would have been successful in trying to dump Title IX, but it became the rage. Everyone was talking about, will women's sports kill football? Mm -hmm. And it gave the women who wanted equal opportunity for women in sports, it gave them a media platform to say why. And they were really smart. They didn't say, oh, you you know, football is too big. Football is dangerous for kids. They didn't, you know, take off against football. They, they cited the research that girls who play sports are, uh, they have stronger self-images. They're more confident. They have higher self-esteem. They're more likely to go to college. They're less likely to get physically assaulted. They're at lower risk for breast cancer. So they really... Um, through knockout punches in terms of convincing parents uh, that sport was as important for our sons as it was for our daughters. And they were very successful. It's interesting because discrimination you know, law says treat men and women equally, right? Mm -hmm. This one made an exception for women. We don't want you to treat them equally. We want you to create a special category for them mm -hmm. in sport. We're going to make an exception to a discrimination law. Mm -hmm. And this exception says a couple of things. It says you shall give them equal participation opportunities. And equal participation opportunities mean if there are 50% of all the kids in your school are, are female, you get 50% of all the athletic mm -hmm. opportunities. Based on your percentage of student body. Right. percentage of student body. And mm -hmm. mathematically, that's the fairest thing to do. They also said that boys get to play the sports that they want and girls get to play the sports that they want. The boys want to play football, knock their heads around. Fine. <laughs> if girls want to play tennis and golf and lacrosse, fine. So how you split up those opportunities doesn't mean same sports, mm -hmm. means girls get to play what they want, boys get to play what they want. They also said that if you chose the mo most, the, the, the sports in which girls were most interested, uh, and boys were most interested, that was the rule of thumb. You couldn't choose 
the most popular sport for boys and then say, let me choose a cheap sport for girls. Mm -hmm. What can I get away with? Uh, Like, what if I put a hundred girls on the track team, Mm -hmm. right? To offset football. it was specific in t- terms of Title IX that you couldn't do that. It also said if you gave scholarships, in fact, this was the only monetary um, um, dollar definition of Title IX. Uh, it said if you give scholarships, then an equal percentage of dollars has to go to male and female athletes based on their participation. So if there were 50-50 in the student body and there were 50-50 in athletics, then scholarship money was split 50-50. And then there was a whole category of things called treatment and benefits. Everything from uniforms, equipment, supplies, the facilities that um, uh, girls were provided with, the quality of coaches, Schedules. If the boys were traveling to to play the best teams in the country, the girls had to travel to uh, play the best uh, teams in the country. Um, Quality of competition in terms of if boys were given championships and postseason play, girls had to do that too. So if you go right down the line of what they call the laundry list Mm -hmm. from how many kids stay in a room in motels to whether you got the same per diem money when you traveled. Um, Title IX said, guess what? Even Stephen here. Going back, how did Title IX even come to be? Well, like I said, it, it was all about higher education opportunity. It's if when I was growing up, um, if you were if you're a woman, the only way you could get into law school or medical school is if your father donated the money to build the building, you know, to build a building. Seriously, seriously. Otherwise, there were quotas like 10% because they thought that women were going to throw the, these valuable degrees away. They were going to get pregnant. They were going to have kids. They were going to stay at home. They weren't going to work. And why were we educating them? That's where, that's where our society was at the time. It's right. hard to imagine. I remember Senator Birch Bayh, who is considered the father of Title IX, uh, sitting on the floor that one late night when we were uh, putting together thoughts for um, that blue ribbon panel I was on regarding Title IX mm-hmm. under the, the Bush administration, the first Bush administration. And okay, stop, stop right there because people it, don't understand, right? Yes. So just because Title IX passed in 1972 and the athletics regulations passed in 75 doesn't mean people stopped trying to get rid of it. There were four efforts in 1974 to exclude men's football and basketball. Uh, There were efforts, Julie, you were a part of this, you know, in the early 2000s when under President Bush, there was a special committee and that committee wanted to change the definition of equal. To sixty forty, mm-hmm. <laughs> which, which was yeah, really that's weird, perfectly but that's, equal. But that's exactly, <laughs> but that's exactly what they wanted to do. And Julie, uh, Julie Foudy and Donna Deverana, who was a Olympic swimmer from the nineteen seventies, um, were our representatives on this presidential uh, committee that looked at all of this. And what Julie is describing is the late nights that. Uh, were put in with Senator By, you know, with yeah. Julie and Donna. National and, Women's Law Center. Uh, oh. Yeah, it, 
and the women got together and this was really a knockdown drag out uh, battle. Yeah. And they, they brought Hollywood celebrities to DC uh, like Gina Davis and Holly Hunter. Mm-hmm. And they uh, preempted the majority report with the minority report and threw a press conference a couple of hours before the committee committee was going to release its <laughs> report. And just, they just, tore apart the opposition. They really did. Julie and Donna did. did, Except Julie, this Julie did not have a suit because her bag didn't show up. And so she was like (laughs) scrambling morning of, I do not want to go to this press conference naked or in my pajamas. But Julie, tell the the truth. I, I think what people don't realize is anybody can speak to a member of Congress. Anybody can testify before Congress. It doesn't, you know, take a lot of, of particular smarts or something. But if, if something wrong is going to happen, you know, your voice is really, really important. And when you stay together uh, yeah. and have a team of allied organizations and groups, it's kind of fun. It's like a team sport, isn't it? Yeah, it did. It felt like that because we were doing a lot of 2 AMers. And I mean, literally Senator Birch Bayh, as I was saying, who's considered the father of Title IX with Patsy Mink, the mother of Title IX, who was a Congress member at the time as well when it passed. But he said to me, the origin story of that for him was to your point, Donna, earlier that him and his wife had you know, gone to undergrad together. They were both going to law school. His wife got better grades from him, than him in college. His wife tested better than him in the LSAT. And yet he got into every single law school he applied for and she got into none. Better grades, better test scores, everything. He was like, she was the brainiac of the family. I was just the guy. And he thought, this cannot keep happening. And so that was his catalyst to jumping in. Obviously, as we said, it was uh, a larger educational amendment. Um, And I was, you know, just to give some context of what that time was like um, in the 70s. And he said, this should not be happening. We need to change this. But, but, you know, people don't realize that even though a lot has changed and it's gotten better, we're not even close. Yeah. Women, women today, girls and women in high school and college uh, still aren't getting the number of opportunities that boys had in 1972. Right. And we're still not getting uh, treated equally. I talk to high school kids all the time. I talk to college kids all the time. And off the top of their head, yeah, they can tell you they don't get they don't get nice uniforms. They, I don't right. care what school it is. Uh, they're not treated the same way. And when that happens, it's so important to speak up and to say something. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, if it's, you don't have to get your parents, you don't have to bring a lawsuit. Uh, it's, you can be nice and say something nicely and make change. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Speaking of which, what was the result of the minority report that Julie was involved with? Title IX stood. Stood. <laughs> Donna, you mentioned there's still, uh, you know, a, a lot to be bu- done. The Women's Sports Foundation just came out with a report that said, um, and I know the college level gets a ton of the attention, and let's be clear, this goes to every federally funded institution. And so it, it applies in elementary schools, it applies in middle schools, it applies in high schools, and of course, in colleges. But 
Um, it showed that 85% of colleges and universities are still not compliant with Title IX. Um, and we also know the opportunity gap is widest among girls and women of color. How can we close that gap in terms of access and opportunity for women of color? The easiest way to close the gap is for governance organizations like state high school associations to say to all of their members, your boys and girls teams do not get to go to state championships unless your school is in compliance with Title IX, that it be a condition of membership. Mm. And it's not enough just to say it. Uh, there has to be a mechanism where every three, four, or five years, um, either the state association or your conference, if it's uh, at the college level, comes in and does a Title IX assessment. An outside third party that's unbiased comes in, takes a look at your program. If something has to be fixed, uh, give them the benefit of the doubt, fix it in a year. But that's what is required. What's happening now is there's, there's no policeman in this. There's no teeth to it. It's because the federal government cannot take 20,000 high schools and 2,000 college athletic programs and keep track. And mm -hmm. these athletic governing associations have not taken the responsibility to make sure that they you know, put their money where the mouth is. They say, oh, we're for gen gender equity. The way they're for gender equity should be to have a rule mandating compliance. The interesting thing, too, is that when a, a young woman first hears about Title IX, and, and, and I thought this was just the case of my generation because we weren't learning it as kids, but it's still true today, that their first intro to Title IX is often when they're in college and they've heard about it in a negative sense because it's been blamed as the reason that men's sport has just been cut. The fact that the first time they hear about Title IX, it's in a negative way. And so they, so a lot of young women actually have a negative connotation associated with it. I, I think you're right. And, and this is all about truth-telling, right? And, and truth-telling is not happening in sport. Uh, why do you cut men's sports? It's not because you're giving too much to women. You're not complying with Title IX. You're mm -hmm. not giving them what they deserve. Mm -hmm. It's because you're throwing all of your money into two baskets, men's basketball, men's football. And it doesn't matter, you know, whether they win or not. There, there are seven and eight figure uh, coaches, salaries. Um, they, they are uh, traveling via chartered planes. No one is talking about the lavish expenditures and abuses in football and basketball as being responsible for the loss of men's sports and women's sports. Right. What happened during the pandemic? Yeah. Right. Everybody tried to cut women's sports. Yeah. Nobody talked about cutting men's sports. I mean, men's football or basketball Yeah. or even reducing their cost. Yeah. So, and I think that's an important thing too that that people need to know is Title IX doesn't tell you how to spend your money. It just says don't discriminate, right? And when I look at these athletic departments, it's as if you're running a business. The pie is only so big. You only have so much budget. You decide as the CEO, the athletic director, or whoever is running your department how that is split up. And these these schools are deciding, right? 
we're going to put it in this basket. We're going to put it in this pot and slice the pie that way. And it's not, and it's not working out in the end for all sports. It's not a broader based sports perspective they're coming from, but Title IX doesn't tell them how to split that up. They're splitting it up like that. And so that's the thing where I get mad. I'm like, hey, that's that's the CEO or your athletic director you should be blaming, not the not the law that's there for the women. You're right. You're absolutely right. But there's no reason to ever have to cut a sport. Just think about it. Um, you can always tier your sport program. You can say we're only going to uh, treat so many athletes like kings and queens. And we'll, drink, we'll treat the rest of them like paupers, as mm-hmm. long as there's an equal percentage of men and women in those buckets. Mm-hmm. And what schools are doing is they're doing that, but they're treating more women as paupers and a lot of football players and basketball players as kings, and they're not equalizing the top of the treatment tier. Nobody should cut a sport. You know why you don't cut a sport? Because the alumni for a hundred years will come out of the woodwork and promise never to give another dime to the institution. (laughs) And you'll have bad press for three years, right? So it shouldn't be on anybody's radar. Exhibit A, (laughs) Stanford University during the pandemic. That's exactly right. And what what did Stanford end up doing? Yeah, reinstating all those sports. I I know. It's like, yo, how um, many sports were they looking to cut? uh, 11. 11. 11. 11. Yeah, and then and didn't tell any of their alumni who, oh, by the way, are all Olympic gold medalists and like the elite, you know. And, and this isn't just women they were cutting; it was men's and women. Is that how I think they were trying to justify it? Hey, we're not just cutting women; we're cutting everyone, but never speaking to any of the alumni about it. So people went berserk, as you can imagine, and they ended up reinstating every single one. But after all those kids, sadly, had to leave Stanford. Right? Right. Those student athletes went to play somewhere else. They wanted to continue playing their sport. When that happens, when that happens, it's a lazy athletic director. It's an athletic director that says, gee, what if I didn't have to worry about 20 or 30 sports and I only have to worry about eight or nine? Make make my job that I'm getting paid a million dollars a year for, make my job a little easier, right? It's it's that that is the, the awful part of it, right? You gotta. You have to work hard to give kids opportunity, and that should be the number one priority. Yeah, we could do a whole podcast on that. Don't get me started on that one. We're not going to go down that road. <laughs> not here. Right now, I'm thinking about Julie's 15 year old daughter, Izzy. Donna, what would you like Izzy to know about Title IX? You know, that's such a big question. And and it all comes back to you want every woman to know that she is just as valuable as her brother. I'm sure that somehow Julie gave Izzy uh, sports equipment before she gave her dolls. Or when she gave her dolls, she probably gave her sports equipment too. And there were generations of women who never got sports equipment, who never were told with a gift I think you can do this. Um, and, and so I wish for every woman that there's somebody in their life that treats her like her brother. Mm, so good. Uh, but Buddy Sandler, as you know, who helped draft the legislation, legislation uh, calls Title IX the most important step for gender equality since the 19th Amendment gave us the right Absolutely. to vote. And you know why? Because it was such an under the table move. Uh, When you think about it, 
that the key to developing strong, competent, aggressive women was simply giving them sport. What does sport do? (laughs) That's what it does. It, It makes you more competitive. And I'm not sure anybody had that in mind as, you know, the most important reason why we should, you know, do Title IX. Okay. And for, for those listeners out there who are wondering, how can I get uh, more education for, especially for younger adults in your lives, younger kids, uh, on Title IX, a few options for you that I got from the Women's Sports Foundation. Uh, and Donna, add to this list, uh, if, you, if you know any, I'm thinking for, for teens specifically. So Let Me Play, written by Karen Blumenthal, is uh, one that was recommended. Uh, and then even for younger kids, it's uh, two picture books that uh, I, I heard. Girls with Guts by Debbie Gonzalez and An Equal Shot by Helene Becker are two. Um, do you have any others, Donna, you would add to that list? Not off the top of my head, but the Women's Sports Foundation is a tremendous resource uh, for things like this. And, you know, there are so many like Boys and Girls Clubs and, um, um, you know, Girls Inc., uh, you know, YWCA's. Everybody really is doing uh, a pretty good job of trying to get the message out. Uh, But parents have to do a better job of buying the book for the kid and then making sure you go out in the backyard and play with your daughter. Yeah. And then let's hope one day it's just part of our curriculum in school. You got it. We learn about it as young adults. Uh, Donna, my friend, thank you for all your wisdom, your advocacy, and personal guidance for so many years. I just love that you've always been this strong guiding voice through this whole journey. Happy 50th anniversary of Title IX. I won't be happy until you run for president. (laughs) I'm telling you. I'm telling you. That's all? President of the Boys and Girls Club? No, no, no. President president of the USA. You'd make a great president, Jules. You're always the uh, astute politico. Well, I have said when I saw uh, the State of the Union and we almost had the trifecta up there, Right. We had Pelosi. We had Kamala Harris, of course, Madam Vice President. And then we had Joe Biden. I did make a mention that it is going to be the trifecta one day and it's going to be with a female athlete as president. It may not be this female athlete, but I do think our next president, that's a woman, will be a female athlete and it better be in my lifetime. Here, here. 